So we're in a series right now called The Problem with God. And what, we're, what we've been talking about and what we will talk about for the next two weeks, including today, are some of the major objections to faith. The, the things that cause people to stumble when it comes to God, when it comes to religion, when it comes to church, faith in general. And two weeks ago, we began with the idea that Christianity is exclusive, that, that Christianity claims that the only way to go to heaven when you die is through Jesus Christ. And we kind of unpacked that, and that's a big thought out there today, where people say, man, I can't, I can't adhere to that. that, that sounds so narrow-minded, sounds bigoted, sounds arrogant. We talked that through in week number one. So if you missed that, if you're interested in that, you can catch that on our podcast. Then last week, we talked about the problem of God's existence. I mean, how do we even know that he exists? We, we, I gave you three inductive arguments that basically helped you to have some confidence that a faith in God or a belief in God is reasonable and it is probable. And we talked about the evidence of conscience. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today. Or the moral law, the evidence of design, that the universe is complex. Therefore, there must have been someone who created it. And the, the, the evidence of cause and effect, that there's something here rather than nothing being here and what caused it. And so if you missed that last week or if that interests you, you can go back and watch that. And uh, man, I just scratched the surface, honestly, last week. There's so much you can read. There's so much you can study on the, on the evidence, of, evidence of God, but there's, you can only do so much in 30 minutes. So I challenge you to take it to the next level and start doing some studying on your own. And so today what I want to do, ooh, today what I want to do, today I want to dive into probably the most difficult challenge to faith or Christianity, and that is the problem of evil. The problem of evil. How many of you have a friend, family member, coworker, somebody in your life who said, here's the deal, the reason I can't believe in God, the reason I don't go to church is because of the existence of evil. Raise your hand. Yeah. Maybe, maybe today you walked in here today because you heard somebody say, I was going to talk about that or we were going to address this issue and that's where you're at. You say, you know, the reason I can't put my full confidence in, in a good and loving God is because I see so much evil going on in the world today. And I want to address that head on. Our world is filled with evil. There's no doubt about that. There's, no, there's some people out there that will deny it, okay? In the Hindu faith, they, they tell you that there's no such thing as evil. It's an illusion, okay? We're not going to say that. We're going to deal with the reality of evil. It's everywhere. You turn the television on and you see it. You see murder, you see war. I mean, you just spend five minutes on the news and you can see all of the, the terrible things that p- human beings are doing to human beings. Rape and theft and injustice and all kinds of things going on. And it's so hard to reconcile the existence of an almighty loving God and the presence of all of this horrible evil. Am I right? How do those things work together? I saw a recent national poll that said, if you, if you could ask God one question and, and he was going to answer it no matter what, you were for sure going to get an answer. The number one question was, why is there pain and suffering? That's on people's minds. They want to know, God, why are you allowing, if you're there, why would you ever allow the world to go the way that it's gone? I saw an article the other day, I have it right here. And most of us, when we hear stories about the genocide in Rwanda from the, in the 1990s, 95, 96, really pretty sure that's when it was. Or the, or the, the Holocaust back in World War II. We, we feel like, oh, it's so terrible if we, we study that. How could, how could that happen where, where almost a million people died in Rwanda? Where seven million Jews were slaughtered by Hitler in the Nazi Germany and 
7 million more other people. And we think, surely that's not going on today, but this article shows that right now today, there are five episodes of genocide happening today. Read this article, and I'll just, I'll, I'll read the, the locations. There's one in Myanmar, Myanmar, can't say that. The South Sudan, there's another one. In Iraq, there's one going on. In Central African Republic, there's one going on. And there's still one going on in Darfur. Episodes of ethnic cleansing. One group of people trying to slaughter another group of people. Today, not back in the 1940s, not back in the 90s, like right now. It's like, how do, how do we reconcile my faith in God where, where, where all of this evil is just happening all the time? It's very difficult. James Orr, who's a Presbyterian minister and, and, and professor of church history, said this, the problem of evil is one of the most crucial protests raised by unbelievers against the fact of God. There's another biblical scholar, John Wenham, who said this, evil constitutes the biggest single argument against the existence of an almighty loving God. That's a powerful argument. Those are some powerful statements. Why, why is this such a compelling argument? I will, I'll tell you why, because it's emotional. It's not just logical. We're going to talk about the logic in just a second. We're going to break it down. Very logical. We're going to go to the head. But the reason why evil is such a difficult hurdle to overcome is because it's emotional. It hits the heart. Most of us have been on the receiving end of some type of evil act. Yes or no? We have felt it. Some of us worse than others. Some of us have had things done to us that have, should, have, should have never been done to us by a perfect stranger, by a parent, by a relative, some type of abuse. We have felt what evil does. And oftentimes, I heard another pastor say this, personal pain forms our private convictions. It's not the logic of it. We're going to get to that in just a second, as I said. But it's, it's the experience of the pain itself. Losing a loved one to cancer. Praying a prayer. Asking God to save an uncle. Save an, uh, a mother. Save a brother from cancer. And it doesn't work. And, and it's that personal pain that forms the private convictions. I just can't believe in a God that would allow a child to die this way. Or for a tsunami to come on land and kill hundreds of of thousands of people. I just can't reconcile that. It's emotional. It doesn't just go to the head, it goes to the heart. Am I right? But it's also logical. And so I want to talk about the, the, the logic of this and then kind of unpack the logics because I don't think it, it actually works completely. So this, this argument was originally put together by David Hume and then Epicurus also gave a version of the argument. I want you to think critically with me here for a moment because when I first read this, I was like, huh? I had to think about it for a little while before I got it. But here's how the argument uh, breaks down against God. If God is willing to prevent evil, but he's not able, then he's not all-powerful. Now, let me, let, me, let me explain what this means. If God wants to stop evil, but he's just not incapable of doing it, it's like out of control, like, oh my gosh, the devil's running loose, I can't control these people, then he's not all-powerful. So this is not an argument that God doesn't exist, it's just an argument that he's just not omnipotent. Does that make sense? The second one, a little bit more interesting, if he's able to do it, in other words, he could stop it just in a moment like that, but yeah, he really didn't want to. Well, then you're, then you're dealing with a God that's not very good. Do you agree? It's like, well, if he could do it, I mean, if you could stop somebody from hurting your child and you don't stop them from hurting your child, what kind of parent does that make you? It's very compelling. Again, it's not an argument that he doesn't exist. It's just an argument that his character is not good. Are you with me? Yes or no? 
It's this third one that goes towards his non-existence. But if he is both willing and able, in other words, he wants to do it and he's able to stop evil, how can evil exist? See, that's the the problem. The assumption here is that, that evil and God can never coexist. That's a big assumption. We're going we're gonna to talk about that in a second. And then Epicurus goes on and says, if he's neither able nor willing, then why call him God? It's a very compelling argument. Now, if, that, if you just heard all that and you're like, what? I don't even get what you just said. That's fine. Let me, I'm going to condense it down because I, I like to simplify things and make them easy to understand. Here, here, let me simplify it. Three statements. Basically, what Epicurus is assuming is that it is logically impossible for God and suffering to both exist at the same time. However, evil does exist. Therefore, God does not exist. Does that make make it a little easier? It's a very compelling argument. Now, when you first hear this, you think, dude, you're like rocking my world. Like I walked in here as, as a person of faith and now I'm not so sure. I don't want to do that to you. And I'm going to show you here why you don't need to feel that way. I just want you to understand, logically, this is a very compelling art. It's not just emotional. We don't just feel evil. It's also a a, a head issue. What do we do with this? What if a friend at work says, here's why I don't believe in God? Like, boom, boom, boom. And you're like, oh, wow, that's pretty good. I don't know. I don't know what to say to that. Talk to my pastor. Let me, let me show you, this is very important for you to get. Okay, so pay, pay very close attention here. Write some of this stuff down. I'm going to show you why this argument does not logically work. Because it makes two false assumptions. It makes assumptions that the, the arguer fails to prove. It's another way to say it. Two false assumptions in this argument. The first one, I've already mentioned it, is that God and evil can never coexist. They're assuming that everybody's on the same page with that. They haven't proven it in the argument. They've just assumed it. Isn't it right? God, evil, coexist, never. Oil and water, they never shall, they never mix. But is that true? I think it's so easy for us to fall into this line of thinking because we're Americans and, and by golly, the, the, it's written into our, you know, our founding documents that you know, the purpose of life is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So the goal of life is happiness. And that's, that's just, as Americans, that's what we believe. We believe that to our core. Like, I want to be happy. Like, God, God, God's job, like, the, the reason God exists is to make me happy. And then evil starts to affect our life, and suffering starts to affect our life, and, and, and we don't feel very what? We don't feel very happy. Somebody gets sick. Somebody gets cancer. Somebody gets in a car accident. Somebody, something happens. Somebody gets, a, there, was a, there was a house in my neighborhood this week that went up in flames, the whole thing. And evil comes in, destruction comes in, and it makes us unhappy. So it's so easy as Americans to fall into this line of thinking. They, I mean, God and evil, they, they, they don't mix because evil is making me very unhappy. But what if, what if the goal of life was not to make you happy? Well, that's interesting. What if God didn't create you to make you happy? Maybe it's part of his agenda. Certainly God wants you to be happy. I, I, would, I would adhere to that. Certainly God, I mean, I'm a parent. I love to make my kids happy. But what if me and my wife, my wife and I, what if we made it the goal of our parenting to make our children happy? What kind of parents would we be? What kind of children would we create? 
Come on, you know the answer. Like, it's actually our job to bring some pain and suffering to our children, right? Like, isn't it true? Isn't it true? Like, come on, raise your hand. Like, like that's, that's what good parents do. No, 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 you are not doing that. You cannot have that. You are not going there. You're going to cut your hair. You're going to, right, see what I'm saying? Like, we bring it. Bring the heat. That's what makes good parents. What, what, if the goal of, what if God's goal is not to make you happy? What if his goal was to create a race of people that freely choose to love him? What if that was his goal? If that was his goal, to create human beings, which we're here, so we would make the argument that God created us. I know some people don't believe that, but we're making that argument. For us to be human, we would have to have freedom of choice. And if we have freedom of choice, then there has to be an option to do the wrong thing. Yes or no? Proving that God, if God did create us, which we believe he did, proving that, there, that evil and God can, in fact, coexist. See, to be human is to be free. To not have freedom is to be a robot. And God did not create robots. Look around. You, you're, the reason you dressed the way you did today is because you had freedom. <laughs> At least some of you, Right? Some of you were dressed by your spouse or a parent. I love what E.L. Miller said. He said, even an omnipotent God, an all-powerful God, cannot do that which is logically impossible. And he was referring to human beings. In other words, you can't create a human being without free will. It's like creating a square, that circle. You say, can you, could God make a, a square circle? I mean, God could do anything he wants, but he can't do something that's logically impossible. A square circle doesn't exist. Remember back in middle school, as people say, oh, could God make a rock that's too heavy for him to lift? And, and, and this, would, this would always get me. Like, oh, I don't know. My brain hurts. Like, ah, God's all powerful. He can do whatever he wants. But, but yeah, could he lift it? I don't know. And, and the answer is simple. No, he can't. Why? Because a rock that he couldn't lift doesn't exist. A human without free will doesn't exist, Right? Even an omnipotent God cannot do that which is logically impossible. And so in the Garden of Eden, we should see evidence of this choice. This to be human is to, to, to be free and to choose the right or the wrong. And that's what we find. Genesis 2 verse 9. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. And there was this other tree. The tree of the knowledge of, say it with me, good and evil. This is before Adam and Eve sinned. Who put the choice in the garden? Who did did Satan put this tree in there? No, 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 no. God put the tree. God put the option before the first man and the first woman and said, guys, you have the choice. Because to be human is to, cho is to choose. See, it's, false, it's a false assumption to say that God and evil cannot coexist. Because to be human is to be free. And to be free is to have choice. Which makes evil a necessity to the human experience. You with me? Number one, wrong false assumption. Number two is that there's no good purpose for evil. This argument is saying that, 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 that there's no good evidence, no good purpose, no good reason for evil to exist. But think about it with me. Think critically. In order to say this or to prove this, you'd have to research every evil act in the history of humanity and discover that there is nothing good that ever came from anything evil whatsoever, everywhere, anywhere, at any time. Now, is that possible? Yes or no? That is not possible. 
And then on top of that, when we look at our own lives, we can certainly discover the evidence to the contrary. That, that, you know what, this thing that happened to me was terrible. I suffered. It was horrible. There was an injustice. The boss fired me. I should have got the raise, whatever, whatever. But then because of that, I got this job or I developed this kind of character trait inside, more courage or more hope or I understood something more about God. Something happened to my faith because of the evil act or the injustice. Something good came from the suffering. Can you tell a story like that in your life, yes or no? I should see every hand in the room right now go up, guys, because you know it's true. Like, there's bad things that happen to us, but out of those bad things, good comes. Not every time. Sometimes we don't, see, don't see it. Sometimes some of us are still waiting to find out what that good thing is. But good does come from evil from, as we look at our human experience. Malcolm Muggeridge was a, a British journalist. He also fought in World War II and helped Mother Teresa to kind of reach the, the acclaim that she had. He said this. Everything I have ever learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through, say it with me, affliction and not through happiness. Wow. Think of the story of Joseph. He gets sold into slavery by his brothers. What an injustice. His blood, his brothers sold him. He gets falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's wife. He gets thrown into prison for two years, forgotten about. He's innocent. He comes out. God uses him to save many people from the famine. His brothers show up hungry one day. We need some food. Listen to what Joseph says to his brothers. Perhaps one of the most powerful things in the Bible. As for you, bros, <laughs> you guys who sold me out, sold me down the river, you meant, say it with me, evil against me. What you did was wrong. But watch this. God meant it for, say it with me, good, yeah. He meant it for good. What was the good? To bring about many people so that they should be kept alive as they are today. Did God use evil to bring about some good? Yes or no? We find it, we find evidence of it in our lives. We find evidence of it in the Bible. Two false assumptions. God and evil can never coexist. That's not true. And there's no good purpose for evil. That's not true. Listen, when, when an argument has two false assumptions, the argument falls apart, folks. Let me also make mention of one other problem with this argument. The premise that it uses, the argument uses a premise which their philosophy denies. What in the world does that mean? The argument against God stands on a moral principle. In other words, the folks that are, are making this argument, yeah, see, I look at all the all the stuff that's going on in the world. And what I see is real wrongdoing. It's not just my opinion. It's just stuff out there that I see in the world, in my life, in the community. It's actually wrong. Therefore, God does not exist. See, that argument depends upon God existing. But the argument is denying his existence because where did the principle of morality come from in the first place? You follow me? If it doesn't come from God, it's my personal opinion. And if it's my personal opinion, then it has no validity. I can't say the Holocaust was evil if it's just my opinion, because you might differ. You say, no, I thought it, I think it was a good thing because it was the survival of the fittest and the German race was more advanced than the Jewish race and so it was only natural to kill them off. Who am I to say that you're wrong? There's no standard there. It's just we're now talking about different opinions. Does that make sense? This argument against e evil uses a premise which their philosophy denies. 
This is what led C.S. Lewis to move away from atheism to theism, this very thought process. So what's the answer? What's the answer? Like, what do we say to our friends that, that, that have this, this, this position that, that, that because evil exists, God cannot exist? Well, two, two thoughts I want to give you, two thoughts. Number one, and this is where C.S. Lewis was going, the problem of evil actually points toward the reality of God and not away from him, which is, which is ironic because people are saying the existence of evil points us away from God. We, we would learn, we would say that no, 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 it actually points us towards the reality of God. Listen to C.S. Lewis as he followed this thought pattern. He began his arguments against God because of the existence of evil. He says in his book, Mere Christianity, which is fantastic, I hope you can get a copy and, and read it. This is more of a, like a textbook to me than it is a book. I've read it and reread it and read it and reread it. My argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. You see where he's going there? I look around, I see all the evil in the world, and I said, ah, a good and loving almighty God cannot exist at the same time with all of this unjust evil. And then he asked this very, very insightful question that you and I must ask. He says, but how had I got this idea of just and unjust? Where did it come from? He says, well, maybe it came from my own feelings, my own opinions about what I think is wrong. Murder is wrong. Rape is wrong. It's just my opinion, but you might differ. You might think it's okay. But he says, watch what he says here. If he did that, but if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed. For the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust and not simply that it did not happen to please my fancies or it just went against my opinion you see to say something is really unjust you have to have a moral standard to stand on where did that come from that moral standard it can't be from my opinion where did it come from that that part of us that says no that's not right it shouldn't have gone that way he shouldn't have said that he shouldn't have done that she should have done this instead where does that come from lewis says it had to come from god the moral lawgiver. Last week we talked about we talked about this. We said it's the evidence of conscience. See, the reality of evil points us towards the reality of God, not away. The only other option, and there really is no other option, is the evolutionary thought process. That the sense of right and wrong that we have inside of us co- comes from, you know, the primordial soup that turned into a fish, that turned into a lizard, that turned into a. Is that Rocky Balboa? That's awesome. <laughs> I have to put that on my ring phone. I just, (laughs) very motivational. Anyway, everybody online's like, what happened? So back to evolution, ready? Okay. (laughs) So the only other place this could have come from is this evolutionary process of, you know, like I said, a a primordial soup, you know, turns into a fish, turns into a lizard, turns into a, turns into a, turns into a monkey, turns into a human. And, and, and now we have this built-in sense of, of, of right and wrong, which really isn't a sense of right and wrong. It's just basically this, this, this hardwired uh, drive to survive. That's all evolution teaches. There's nothing else there, okay? The only thing that is helping us make decisions today is, is the product of an evolution, natural selection, is this desire to survive, the survival of the fittest, which, by the way, would, would make what Germany did to the, to, to, to the Jewish people okay because... They're just surviving, right? And they're killing off the weaker species, 
Okay, that's a whole other issue. We're not going to go there. That's the only other place this sense of right or wrong could come from. In fact, there are people today that advocate this as, as passionate evangelists. One guy's name is Steven Pinker. He heard about a story of a, of a, of a 17-year-old girl, 1997, who was at her senior prom. She went to the prom nine months pregnant, somehow was able to, to cover it up. She went into labor while she was dancing. Maybe you heard this story. She went into the bathroom, delivered the baby, killed the baby, disposed of the baby, cleaned herself up, went back out and finished her, her prom. People were incensed when they found out about it. And so, you know, this sense of, of, of right and wrong, people were like, no! And so Steven Pinker thought he would bring some clarity to the process, and he was this big-time professor at Harvard and professor of evolutionary psychology. So he wrote a letter to the New York Times explaining why this, we have to have compassion on this girl. Listen to what he said in the New York Times. You can check this out on yourself. You could Google it. It's called Why They Killed Their Newborns. This is a letter to the New York Times. As a capacity for neonaticide or infanticide is built into the biological design of our parental emotions. If a newborn is sickly or if its survival is not promising or if I can't finish my prom, they may cut their losses and favor the healthiest of the litter. And he says a lot, of, lot more than that, but you get the gist of what he's saying. Look, don't, don't be too hard on this girl. She's hardwired to kill off that which is going to ruin her life or threaten her survival. She's just acting through normal, this is normal behavior for, for a species that's trying to survive. Well, the courts didn't think so. She went to jail for three years. And inside of us, we're sitting here thinking, no, you don't explain behavior like that through the evolutionary process. There's something inside of us that says that is not right. That's murder. That's what that is. And the courts agreed. But if there is no God, that's all you have. The evolutionary process, which, by the way, doesn't tell you what right or wrong is. We're going to talk more about this next week. It just explains why people do what they do. And the only explanation of why they do what they do is because they're trying to survive because that's all evolution teaches. You with me, yes or no? So I believe that the evidence of evil points us towards the reality of God and not away. Number two, this is what you tell your friends. God has a purpose for evil. He does. He does. We don't always know what it is, but I want you to think with me for a second about a world where there is no evil and no suffering. Now, at first, you'd probably think, oh, man, that's what I want. That'd be great. No war. No, no, you don't have to lock your doors at night. You don't have to get insurance. <laughs> be sweet, right? You don't have to take any pills, right? No fear. A world without evil would be nice. Maybe. Maybe. But isn't it also true that a world without evil would be a world where we didn't know what the word courage meant? Yes or no? Why would you need courage? Nothing ever goes wrong, and no one ever does anything wrong. We wouldn't know what the word bravery meant. We wouldn't need such a character trait. We wouldn't know what the word mercy meant. We wouldn't know what it felt like to receive mercy. What is mercy? It's not getting what you deserve. Anybody ever receive mercy? Oh, everybody should have their hands up. 
about grace? There'd be no idea in a world without sin or suffering or evil, there'd be no such thing as grace. What is grace? It's getting what you don't deserve. There'd be no need for grace, no grace, no mercy, no courage, no bravery, no appreciation. We wouldn't know what the word rescue meant. Think about it. We'd have no concept of what a rescue, what's rescue? Whoever, who gets rescued? No one, because no one's ever sick. No one ever gets into an accident. No one ever has their house go on fire. There's no such thing as rescue. Wow. No such thing as forgiveness. It'd be a world without forgiveness. It'd be a world without reconciliation. It'd be a world without redemption. Would you like to live in a world like that? It'd be a world without love. It'd be a loveless world. Why? Because love requires choice, and there'd be no choice. People would always do the right thing. We would be, in short, it would be a meaningless life. Are you with me, yes or no? I know these are some deeper thoughts, but we have to think this way. A world without sin, a world without suffering, suffering would be a meaningless existence. We have to step back and look at the bigger picture. I love what one uh, theologian said, William Dryness, he said, perhaps when we view creation in its totality, in other words, when we step back and look at the 50,000 foot level, we will see evil as a necessary element in the meaning of the whole. What is he saying? Evil makes life meaningful because it gives us choice. And a life without evil, a life without suffering, and pain is a meaningless, loveless life. And so what is the 50,000 foot level anyway? Like what the heck are we doing here? You ever ask that question? You gotta ask that question, right? Why are we here as opposed to not being here? And why has Jesus, those of us who are of faith, why has Jesus not come back, you know, to kind of end and wrap this whole deal up? Like, isn't it bad enough, you know? <laughs> what's he waiting for? Here's what's going on in the world today. God is still, I should have put still, God is still or continues to gather a community of people from every nation and ethnicity who have, and this is so important, freely chosen to love and trust him. That is why earth is still here. This little speck of space dust exists because God is gathering together a community of human beings who freely, of their own choice, no one's forcing them, no one's twisting their arm, freely choosing to trust and love him. That's what he's doing. That's the story he's telling. And, and in order to make that possible, here's the ironic thing. God stepped into pain and he stepped into suffering to make this possible. I want to read you some compelling words from an author. Her name is Dorothy Sayers. She says this about Jesus. Jesus had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he was playing with his creation, and this is the game right here, whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and he's played fair. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human existence from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. 
in order to gather together a community of people who freely choose to love and trust him, he stepped into evil of the worst kind, false accusations. He stepped into suffering of the worst kind. In fact, when we, when we say the word excruciating, we get it from the word crucifixion. The word excruciating comes from out of the cross. Jesus experienced excruciating pain when he was nailed to that cross, hands and feet. He didn't avoid it. He wasn't one of those gods that, that says, oh, well, let's stay away from earth. It's, it's so messed up. Let's get out of here. No, he entered into the evil. He entered into the suffering and tasted it and took his own medicine. Why? To create an option for you to freely choose him. What will you do? As a human being, what, what will you do with your free will? Will you say, no, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in religion. I'm going to stick to my guns. The, the presence of evil the, you know, disproves him. Is that what you will do with your free will? Or will you freely choose to love him and trust him and surrender your life to him? As for me, I've chosen to trust him. I want to be part of this community that God is creating. This thing called eternal life and abundant life that starts right now and goes on for all eternity. I want to be part of that community because that's the story that God is telling. Do you want to be part of it? I'm going to say a, sim a simple prayer. And, and, and I, it's not a prayer to join a church. It's not a prayer to get baptized. It's not a prayer to, to become religious. It's not a prayer. It's a prayer that says, I want to be part of your family. Jesus, I give my life to you. Wash away my sins. I trust that you're the Savior. I put my confidence in you. Be my Lord today. And you become part of the story God is telling on this planet. If you'd like to do that, I'm going to invite you to simply close your eyes and bow your head, watching online at a different campus, wherever you are. If you feel God tugging on your heart, this is the moment he has created for you to step into his family, to freely choose him. Take these words, make them your own. Jesus, today I, I choose you. I place my faith in you. I put my trust in you. You stepped into suffering for me. You stepped into evil for me so that I could be forgiven, cleansed, washed of my sin. Be my savior today as I put my life in your hands. Fill me with your spirit today as I trust you. Give me the strength today to follow you as my savior, to devote my life to you as my God. Thank you for including me in your story, the story that you are telling. I pray this in Christ's name. Hey, if you just prayed that simple prayer, first of all, we want to rejoice with you, don't we, church? Come on, guys, all across our campuses. Let's give it up. Come on, Banta. Come on, Franklin. Come on, Greenwood. Online campus. Come on, let's hear it. Hey, if there was a better story going on on planet Earth, listen, listen to me. Come on. If there was a better story going on on planet Earth, I would quit this church. I would quit this church, and I'd go join that story, okay? 
But there is no greater story than what God is telling. There's, here's what God is doing. He's overcoming evil with good by transforming human hearts. He's creating a family of people all across the world from every nation, from every language, from every ethnicity who will freely choose to love and trust him. That is the story. And that's why we're here, guys. So what do you do with this as we walk out of here? Listen, you don't use this as ammunition to go shoot at your atheist friends, okay? Here's what you do. In love, you take this information. Maybe you take it a step further. You do a little bit more research. You read some books. You watch this sermon again. And you gently and lovingly have conversations with your friends and family members who have said no to God because of the presence of evil. And over time, as you love them, not win the argument, not win the argument, as you love them, they take a step closer to being part of the family of God and the story God is telling. That's what we do with this information. If you just stepped into the family of God, we want to put a Bible in your hands. At all of your campuses, there's tables in the back there. You can grab a Bible. Also want to talk to you about, they want to talk to you about something called Starting Point. At all of our campuses, you can talk to them. It's a, basically, it's a short-term environment where you can have conversations about your doubts, questions that you still might have. Even if you prayed to accept Christ today, Starting Point may be a great place for you. One more time, guys, can we give God glory? Come on, raise it high. Come on. Love being part of the story that God is telling. Hey, maybe you've heard this song on the radio called Reckless Love. It's about a God that leaves the 99 and he chases us down until he finds us. He'll climb any mountain, he'll knock down any wall, he'll shine his light on any lie in our lives so that he can capture our hearts. Will you stand right now? I wanna close with this song. And then after we're done worshiping this God who leaves the 99 and chases after us, our campus pastors have a short announcement for you. Love you guys.
kicked out.